0: and welcome to The Lee Show. As always, I'm your host, Lee Bressler. Tonight, I had the amazing honor to sit down with Jordan Tassa. Jordan was a member of the 82nd Airborne Infantry in the US Army. He served two tours of duty in Afghanistan, and he fought bravely for our country. After I recorded the last episode about Afghanistan, I felt inspired to speak to Jordan. It's easy for me and for all of us to comment on the war from the comfort and safety of being at home but I wanted to understand the experience firsthand from someone who was on the ground. Jordan and I discussed what it's like to become a soldier, the war in Afghanistan, our withdrawal from the country, and many other topics. Without further ado, let's get to the interview. I'm here with, uh, with Jordan Tassa. Pronounce it Jordan Tassa?
1: Tassa? Close enough. <laughs> oh, how, how would you pronounce it? Uh, it's Tassa. Tassa, Okay.
0: Uh, I'm here with Jordan Tassa, and um, Jordan uh, was in Afghanistan, and uh, first of all, thank you for your service, and second of all, um, maybe could you just tell me about who you are? When when did you enlist? What was that process like? Like, kind of go back to the beginning. How did you choose which part of the military you joined? Like, I, I, I wasn't in the military. I don't really know anything about that, so, so what was that like?
1: Yeah, so I, uh, I enlisted in 2011 went to BASIC at Fort Benning, Georgia. Uh, when did I start? I think July. Finished in August or September. And from then, I got sent to the 82nd Airborne. Uh, we did some pre-deployment training. We were deploying that in February of 2012. Uh, so, yeah, they did us some training out in California, out in Death Valley. Went back and then pretty much deployed from there. Um, we went to, what was it, the Argonne River Valley, in Afghanistan, which is s- southern Afghanistan. From there, after a few months, moved over to Zari District, which was the birthplace of the Taliban. So that was fairly interesting. Uh, from, I mean, we did a nine-month deployment there and did a second deployment in two thousand four.
0: So you were there. Boy, uh, well, before we get into this, so how did you choose the Army? Like, what, what makes you say, I want to join the Army, I don't want to join the Marines or, or the Navy or something like that?
1: I mean, honestly, I mean, a lot of the other branches, they have like wish lists, so you can kind of, you put your top five jobs you want to do and you might get it and you might not. Um, the army was pretty much straight up forward with what you're going to do. And that's pretty much the biggest reason why I joined the army. I didn't you want know, to put my number one job down, which was, you know, sitting behind a desk for four or five years.
0: Got it. Interesting. So that's... um Makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, and how old were you when you enlisted? uh 19 and what when you were in training did people talk about counterinsurgency did they talk about like did you learn about the concept of counterinsurgency like was that part of the training or was it just like you know get get fit learn to follow orders like what what was that like
1: uh I mean no not really in, in basic or even AIT which is you know, we get more detailed into infantry. Uh, I didn't really learn any of that until we got to our unit. We were to point, point operations
0: and all And And what is that process like? Like, some, you just sort of learn it on the job? Or someone, like, sits you down and says, like, here is General Petraeus's manual on counterinsurgency. Like, read this.
1: Um, I mean, it's a little bit of both. Um, call them, like, death by PowerPoint, I guess. You sit there right. for hours and watch PowerPoints. So, um, but I think... I mean, most of it where we learned like hands-on was, was our pre-deployment training out in California. Uh, they'll get you in like mock villages filled with actual like Afghan, Iraqi, uh, like they used to be contractors or whatever. And we gave them a job out there to pretty much role play. Uh, you know, you'd yeah. walk into a village, you'd meet, you'd meet the them. village elder and the Afghan police and all that. And you just learn to have a, they're called like key leader engagements. You sit down with the, the village elder and discuss what they need, what they need from us, a bunch of different stuff, you know, stuff like that. Any but, language
0: training, or is it just the whole thing's in English and they you just hope that there's an, an interpreter there?
1: Um, over there in California, I mean, they obviously uh, spoke like Pashtun and Dari. Um, but I mean, you know, I learned it all from. From actually deploying to Afghanistan and you know it wasn't any fluid that I could people.
0: You could. (laughs) Well. Do you still remember any of it or no?
1: (sighs) Just the bad words, you know.
0: (laughs) Right. Right. You learn how to swear and that's about it. Um, do you think you were good at that part of it? Like the interpersonal sort of like I'm gonna walk into a village and try to negotiate something here
1: side of things? Um, I mean, that wasn't really specifically my role. Okay. Um, that was more for like our platoon sergeants or platoon leaders to go down there and sit there and talk and discuss, discuss things. You know, I I was a, my first point of private and they probably don't want some private sitting down with a 60, 70 year old man discussing, you know, <laughs> village <Right>. politics.
0: <laughs> and, and what, what, what are they negotiating? Is it like, Hey, we'll build you a school. If you point out the Taliban guys, like what, what's that discussion like?
1: Um, I mean, a lot of it was, yeah, I mean, building wells, schools, roads, stuff like that, as long as, you know, they give us a heads up on what's going on in their village, tell us where, you know, the IEDs are, stuff like that. Once a village starts, you know, talking with us a little bit, you know, get a little bit more intense. But for the most part, yeah, it was, we'll give you something if you give us something.
0: And was there ever a sense, like, we're telling you we're going to build you a school or a hospital, but we know you're going to use it as like a mosque or a madrasa or something like that. Or was it just, you know, you say you need a hospital and we're building you a hospital.
1: Kind of... Like, did I you mean, feel
0: they were honest with you?
1: Oh, hell no, no, not, uh-huh. no, no, Not not one bit. Um, I mean, there's a few guys that uh, supported the Americans, but you know, they got to play both sides. They, they, you know, they start helping out the Americans too much. The Taliban to come in at night and, and do their work, you know.
0: So is that is that how the Taliban keep control
1: is it's just
0: the threat of terror? And, and so you can't help out too much because you're afraid of the Taliban and what they're going to do to you. Is
1: that the idea? Yeah, for the most part. Um, I mean, there's definitely people that would just, you know, 100% support them. Right. But I I would say the majority of the people are, you know, playing both sides out of fear.
0: You know, it's kind of interesting to think about because the whole premise of like our military would square off against any other organized national military in the world. Mm -hmm. Right. Or, or just about any, and probably any. And, but it's, it's very hard to square off against like a bunch of guys who only come out at night and they're sort of loosely organized. And it like, that's a lot harder to fight. And I suppose the way you do it is by adopting their tactics, which are not very kind, but like you just have to out terrorize what they can do, right? During world war II, the the Germans did that, right? Nobody, nobody screwed with them. There wasn't much of a resistance because they knew you knew that if you, if you tried to resist them, even if you disagreed with them, if you tried to resist them, they would just kill everyone in town. And so I guess the Taliban, does that right if you try to resist them too hard or you try to sell them out to the americans they're going to kill everyone in town and and we're not willing to do that right we're not going to go kill the entire town so no it's it's a it's a tough fight
1: yeah uh yeah it's pretty hard to win a war when you don't know who you're fighting
0: right that's interesting and so how long were you deployed on your first deployment there to uh seven eight months i believe
1: seven Seven, or eight
0: months and what What's your schedule like when you're doing that? Like, are you, are you busy seven days a week? Do you get days off? Like, how does that work?
1: Yeah, there's, there's really no schedule. I mean, we had to do a mandatory uh, three patrols a day per platoon. You know, every once in a while we'll get a big mission week or something like that. But we just, you know, you got to keep that presence in your area of operations security tight.
0: Um, and when you patrol, is that on, is that on foot? or Is that in a vehicle?
1: Yeah, for the most part, we were a, a light infantry unit, so we were walking around, walking around into the villages, getting, getting good face with you know, village elders and townspeople and stuff like that. And uh, the the vehicles you did use were are these Humvees, or
0: these MRAPS? Like, what was the? Uh,
1: we had, for the most part, MATVs. Which... You did,
0: so they were already uh, past the MRAPS, but
1: for the uh, most we part, did right? have MRAPS. Uh, you did. A few of them. But yeah, we had those, the Afghan. Army had uh Humvees for the most part, or those Toyota pickups.
0: You know, there's this, um, there's this sort of narrative that, uh, and I, I don't know how true it is, it, it seems credible. And I, I've read like interviews with guys who, who, you know, who were in logistics who said it was true, but that there was this narrative that we were deliberately trying to lose Humvees and uh, that we'd sort of, you know, we'd get a delivery of 14 of them or something, and then you leave them outside with the keys in the ignition and you come out in the morning and there's like you know three of them left and it's like oh shit I guess we got to order a bunch more Humvees now and that it was all sort of you know to try to lose a bunch of stuff either to bribe the locals or so that we'd have an excuse to buy a whole bunch more stuff do you think there's any credibility to that,
1: honestly I, I it's the first time I'm hearing about it. Um Okay. It's not hard to steal a Humvee. It doesn't you don't need a key or an wrap, M A V, you no know, key, so you can just you just in get and in. And, you
0: mean? Uh-huh.
1: Yeah. Uh huh. I mean, there wasn't. There was definitely, you know, Afghan soldiers stealing a bunch of shit from us all the time. I really? Go to the extent of you know multi million dollar vehicles, but weapons, but and they were stealing stuff for sure. Yeah. What about logistics?
0: One of the things I've always wondered about a war is like how much of it is logistics in terms of just moving fuel and ammo or something from point a to point b and resupplying what was that like presumably you're not using that much ammunition in this across the entire war so like what what was that resupply concept like logistics were there things that were hard to get or where it ever felt really tight like are we going to get more of this in time
1: no i mean they got that pretty well organized we were from the main bases, you you got supply units, and they go down to our to like our combat outposts, and they'll resupply there, and then from there, they'll come out to us, to our, our outposts, you know, 15 to 20, to resupply us on ammo. Um, but no, I didn't really have any issues with that. Uh, food was sometimes an issue, I'm trying to get some food out there, but other than that... Like they no, just it,
0: couldn't get enough food to where you guys were, you mean?
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, we, we were moving around a lot, so... Huh. But other other than that, I mean, it it we were pretty well supplied. Uh, was it was it comfortable? Like, what is it?
0: I, I I don't know. I mean, I I see in the movies, right? It's like a bunch of guys that are sweaty and covered in dirt all the time, and they're in the middle of the <laughs> desert, and it's like miserable. Mm-hmm. Is that accurate, or is that just like plays in Hollywood and it's not real life?
1: Um, I mean, for the infantrymen, yeah, it's pretty accurate. I mean, I slept on a coffin eight months and right under the sun and some moon dust. <laughs> didn't take a shower for 59 days was the longest I went on my first deployment. I mean, I, um,
0: I, I have a pair shitty. of underpants that, uh, <laughs> that they say when I bought them, they're like the tag, it says that they have this anti stink technology in the underpants and that you can wear them for like 21 days straight without hmm. washing them, which I, by the way, don't do that. I, that's not a good <laughs> idea, but you know, it's even that wouldn't have lasted you 59 days. Holy smokes. Um, Wow yeah your so, uh,
1: your skin after that you got salt crystals all over you and
0: it's I would imagine that pretty nasty that nice. <laughs> yeah um so you came home after seven or eight months, and then what's that like like you come home, do you still get paid while you're at home? Are you in training like what what do you do after your deployment ends? you go get a job how's that work?
1: No, so I was in the active military uh in the national guard, yeah, you go home and go back to your normal civilian life um besides, you know, once or twice a month. Okay. But I went back to uh, Fort Bragg. We had about a week downtime to kind of hang out and drink some beer and get back to normal life and then back into training again.
0: And but, what was the training like the second time around? Did it feel like it was something more advanced? Like, had you gotten promoted? How how's that work? How's it different?
1: Um, I mean, definitely a lot more advanced. I mean, we had – shit – Probably about six months up to deployment, they were just handing out ammo and gear and equipment to go train for, you know, a couple of weeks at a time out. In the, I mean, I think one day we had a full Connex filled with ammo of 5.56 five, and 7.62. And I mean, we were shooting close to 30, 40,000 rounds a day per. Holy never, smokes. Never been able to do that, especially before my first deployment. Who refills but, yeah.
0: all your clips? Like your, your thumbs would get bloody trying to do that yourself, right?
1: Um, well, I mean, we have like speed reloaders. Uh, I was a saw gunner, so I, my, my, uh, my drum was already loaded up for me, ready to go. Um, what is a saw gunner? Um, so it's a bell fed machine gun. Got Um, it. Is that like a quick
0: Google tells me that's an M249. Is that, is that M249? Yep. Uh huh. And so that when you're firing that you're, you're what's like, what's the use case for that? weapon. You're not that's not just handheld, I
1: assume, right? No, you walk around with that. Um uh it helps your team move under firefights. You know, you gotta suppress the enemy and you got two saw gunners and you squat so you know you're just laying lead downrange letting letting the rest of the two move, uh keep the enemy heads zone and got it. So it's like cover fire or suppressing fire, I guess, right? Suppressing fire, yeah.
0: Right. Okay. Interesting. Um was it a good weapon? Oh I loved it. Really? <laughs>
1: oh yeah it was my baby interesting
0: and is it i mean again i'm i'm defaulting to like hollywood because that's my frame of reference here but is it like a you know you sit there in in basic training and you're learning to like clean and care for the thing and and take care of it all the time is that realistic yeah you
1: gotta in basic they uh um i mean we have a bunch of different weapon systems but you know usually around i mean you got your m4 your saw or your m249 your M240, your 50 cal, Mark 19, and those are pretty much the main weapons that the infantry uses, and by the end of basic, you got to learn how to break that whole thing down piece by piece and put it back together. Huh.
0: How much did air support, aircraft, drones, let's talk through all the different types of, of aircraft, like, did, how much did that play a part in what you were doing? Like, would you be out on patrol and say, like, we need air support? Like, is that a is that a concept? Is that a real thing? Yeah.
1: So you you have a they're called um, forward observers and they they're not infantrymen but they get attached to infantry and uh, platoons. So pretty much yeah they they uh, they have communications with the pilots um, and if we need them then we'll he'll uh, they'll call them in. Sometimes other platoon or other companies have priority over over air support depending on what type of mission they're doing so sometimes we call them in and no one would be there for us but for the most part we can get a couple at least a couple of helicopters in. Uh huh.
0: Could you tell this is gonna sound dumb right because they're not wearing like a uniform or a badge or something that says I am Taliban but like after time spent there can you figure out like who's Taliban and who's not was there like some tell some some giveaway that you can kind of spot them or is it just it's, oh, yeah. They're all very low contrast because you can't tell them from some guy in the village.
1: No, I mean, it's. it took a while, but you start knowing, you know, like, for example, a lot of Afghans over there wore sandals. You see a guy running around with Nike freeze, he's probably Taliban. Because <laughs> because he's got the resources to buy those, or because he's not. No, because they're away. good running shoes. Right. <laughs> I mean, for the most part, they're usually uh military age males from fifteen to thirty somewhere in there, just the way they look at you when you're walking by, you just got this feeling just from right you, know, you just you just know we also have uh it's called the i think it's called like the hide system that takes pictures of uh uh people's eyeballs and if they pop up on the computer then if they've done anything in the past or they've been you know a suspicious person we will mark them in there and if they pop up on there then It pretty much just tells us what they've done in the past. So it's like
0: facial recognition, you're saying?
1: Yep.
0: That's very cool. Huh. Interesting. So how much were you ever involved with training the Afghan military or Afghan police forces? Was that something you ever
1: worked on? Before big missions, we would do, you know, like mock drills, Uh, sand tables with the Afghan army and show them exactly what we're going to be doing today, how we're going to run this operation stuff like that. But for the most part, not a whole lot of training. I mean, they'd cut, we would have to go out with an Afghan uh, force, Afghan army force.
0: You had to, because you just needed their local faces or like what?
1: That and um, we were trying to get them to, you know, start leading from the front, trying to transition over from, uh, uh, you know, we kicking down doors to them starting to kick down doors before us. Right. Uh, and we weren't allowed into mosques. They were, you know, a, a huge part of the, uh, the Taliban like to uh, hide their weapon cache in mosques. So, you know, us Americans aren't allowed in there. So just get some Afghan armor in there and check it out. Huh. That's interesting.
0: How often did you find Taliban weapons and go, oh, these look familiar? And it was actually American gear that had been swiped or siphoned off to them.
1: Not that often, Poppy okay. actually never. No, really, I don't think we ever found any. So who was them. who
0: was equipping them? Like where where were they getting their their weapons from?
1: Um, I mean they're getting a lot of their we- weapons from Pakistan and from selling heroin. I mean they right. they make most of their money from, from the poppy fields and creating heroin. Right.
0: It's time for a quick word from our sponsor. I love podcasts. You love podcasts. Osama bin Laden loved podcasts. I think. He was a big true crime buff. And I published the Lee show using Anchor. I think it's a great service. I tested out a number of options. This was clearly the best. They have great sound quality. It's the same company. Anchor is made by the same company that created the weapons that cause Havana syndrome. How cool is that? And it's owned by Spotify as part of their quest to destroy Neil Young. Anchor provides the tools that let you record and edit from your phone, from your computer. I record my audio. I upload it and distribute it to all the major podcasting platforms. It's very easy. They'll get you on Spotify. They'll get you on Apple Podcasts, all the leading players, and you can make big bucks. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Were you ever involved with anything related to either, you know, tracking down the heroin, tracking down the poppy, cutting uh, it down, anything like that? Like, was that something that you were ever involved w- with?
1: I mean, not directly, but we we ran into weapons caches and found, I don't know, 30, 40 pounds of heroin in a bag. Um, we were on some operations as well to burn poppy fields. Um, that didn't really turn out too well with our coin operation (laughs) pissed off a lot of locals. Right. Um, I mean, that's right. That's how they're making their money. Yeah. It's, I mean, that's their main source of incomes.
0: Did you ever have DEA guys from the U S that would come along with you who were like, Hey, will you help us out on something drug related? Or they just, that was, that was not part of what you were doing.
1: No, no, never ran into any DEA guys. Okay. Um,
0: and then your second deployment, tell me about that. Like what, what was it like? How was it different? from the first time around
1: um honestly I can't really get into that one okay fair enough talk about
0: it yep okay that's (laughs) that's fine no we don't we don't need to go there that's okay so how how about this how long was your second deployment um and then when you came back is that it it's like do they say do you want a third deployment like how does that work
1: um I was actually supposed to get out um probably four or five months before my second deployment and then they gave me an option to extend just for that deployment so i did that but i mean it was pretty much the same deal it was a little bit longer i think it was eight or nine months that time but yeah same deal got back but my whole thing out of that was uh, when we got back i was just out out processing that was that was it then you're done pretty much yeah Yep,
0: and what is that like like they do you do you have to give a minimum time commitment and then it's like once you've passed that then it's just like okay i'm done i quit like what yeah what if is you want that to, you
1: can get out right there um i was lucky enough that we had a deployment so i didn't have to commit to another you know three and a half years i only had to throw on another year onto my deployment or onto my my contract um and and uh, then it, it, you're considered what retired? Like what what's the term? Discharged, I guess? Uh yeah, dis or honorably discharged. Honorably um, discharged. Or you okay. can get you know against trouble, you can get dishonorable or whatever. Uh, right.
0: Yeah. What what gets you at dishonorable? That's like being disobedient, shooting someone in the face. Uh, like what, what what what's that?
1: I mean what, multiple what different things. I mean commit any felony crimes, do something it's, bad it, overseas, it, something like it's, that. It's I mean, big stuff though, right? It's not uh Yeah, for the most part. I mean, Mm -hmm. it depends how how much people they need in the military and what they let you get away with. But, I mean, if the military's got a lot or way too many people in there at the moment, it doesn't take much to get kicked out. You've seen
0: on the news, you've seen uh, the same stuff I've seen about the withdrawal, the exit from Afghanistan. What's your sense of that you think it's like is it surprising? Is it going well? Is it going poorly? How do you how do you interpret it?
1: Um, I mean I'm I'm not surprised. I mean I think last time we talked I told you about, you know, I think it's Taliban to take over the country pretty pretty fucking quick and they did. Um I'm just a little upset on how we how we did it, how we left. I know for a fact we were leaving a lot of interpreters that worked for us for years over there and they're probably as we speak getting executed. Um that's pretty upsetting to me. Um, yeah, I didn't think for one second the the Afghan army was going to be able to to hold them off. Because
0: <laughs> you think they just didn't care to do it, or they just weren't strong enough. Like they they had enough people, right, and plenty of equipment. So what what were they lacking? Was it motivation?
1: Motivation. Uh, I think they were scared shitless. They weren't you know backed by the U.S. military anymore. They didn't have the air support lack of leadership uh their government everything
0: interesting uh, do you think the government was like the the government such as it was was it really just corrupt and just trying to steal as much american cash as they could and they never had any intention of actually trying to hold the line and and hold off the taliban once the u.s
1: pulled out um uh, i mean there's definitely corruption i mean there's no doubt about that uh I mean, I just don't think they have the will to fight for their own country, which is very disappointing. I mean, we put right. in so many years with these guys and for them to lose their country that quick to handle. I don't know if you've seen photos, but there's I don't know how many uh, uh, U.S. weapons that were handed over to the Taliban, right. including M.A.T.V.s, RAPs. Saw a photo of a Blackhawk. Uh, yeah, I saw that picture. Drones. I mean, imagine if we had to go back to go fight the uh right now they're they're a lot more equipped right oh 100 i mean pretty scary stuff yeah absolutely and do you
0: think that if we had stayed another four months six months one year 10 years like is there any period of time in which this would have been different or was it sort of like it's not going to make any difference so you might as well pull out Regardless of how well it's handled, like is there would it have been any different
1: no, for any different I, period I of time? Think, I don't think so, no. Got it. No, I and, think uh, regardless of what we've done, I mean or did without the US presence the presence there it, just the Afghan army doesn't have the will to fight, so Right. So so ten more years wouldn't have made a difference, so like why bother? Unless, you know, the the Afghan army can get some fucking education and learn how to fly some planes. Right. Which <laughs> they're not. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. I don't think they're going to be able to hold their country without air support. <laughs> right.
0: You know, it's it's interesting. I was thinking about the same concept that you just brought up with regards to China and Taiwan. And I did a podcast about that. You know, there's... I, I have a lot of fear that China is going to try to take over Taiwan and that the U.S. gets pulled into that conflict. I mean, Taiwan's an ally and we've said, or we've sort of hinted that we would defend them. But it raises the question of like, if you want us to get involved and put American money and soldiers on the line, what's the minimum that we should demand from that country? Like what, what do they have to do to show us that they're worthy of our involvement? Like, do they have to have a conscription of every man in the country? Do they have to spend a certain amount of GDP on, you know, the military? Like, what what should we demand of someone else before we're willing to get involved? And um, you sort of raised that question with regards to Afghanistan, which I, I think was kind of interesting.
1: Um, I mean, I think we just need a, I mean, an end goal for sure, uh, where we want to be by the end of the next war we're in, where we start sending in teenagers and people that are in their 20s to go get killed. I mean, that's a tough question. I don't know about that one. I'm sorry, but
0: no, it's 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 just an interesting one. I I don't know that I have an answer. It's just a question I think about a bunch, and and um something that I'm
1: I'm kind of curious about. Um, but in that whole perspective, uh, we would definitely be fighting a conventional force, uh, not race. this guerrilla warfare shit that we did here in in Vietnam. That's pretty fucking hard to to win.
0: Especially, um, it's hard to win if if the other side is just more motivated, right. If, Mm -hmm. if they're on their home turf and they care more, how how are you ever going to beat that? I just, it seems impossible. Um, do you still have buddies who were there up until recently? I mean, presumably not there now, but like, do you still, you still talk to guys who are there? Is it a totally different cohort of people because you're in for a few years and so people are cycling in and out? Like, how does that work?
1: No, I still got a few guys left. Uh, Actually, people that are there in Kabul right now, wow, in the eighty second. Um, but yeah, not too much. Probably three or four guys served are still, probably still hanging out. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Wow. Um, I mean, that must be pretty wild, right? To be like the last boots on the ground there. I mean, thankfully, no Americans have been killed in the withdrawal. Like you, no matter what you see on TV, and maybe it was some vehicles, some guns, some helicopters, and that's that's bad, but. Like it's pretty amazing so far, from the perspective of have Americans died in the withdrawal? The yeah. No, right, and that's good. Uh, so
1: uh, yeah, I don't believe any have, which is great. But, I, I mean, I'm I'm just still upset about all the people that worked. Right, with us, all the allies and forces. Right. Or the Afghan contractors that you know we should have had a game right. plan before we took everyone out. To and they got to screwed. Them. Yep. Oh, they got screwed big time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's not only them getting killed; they're going in and killing their families. Terrible, pretty disturbing.
0: Why do you, why do you think we were in? I know we talked about this a little bit the last time we spoke, but why do you think we were in Afghanistan in the first place? Like you, if I've I found if I ask ten people, I get ten different answers. But why do you think we were there?
1: Um, I mean, I think we were there to prevent from another nine eleven to happen. I just think it got way out of hand once we defeated the Taliban. I think that should have been it. We stayed there for 20 years. We defeated why do you the think Taliban we, in 2 months. Uh, why do you um, think
0: we stayed those extra 19 years and 10 months? Was it so so you know, I'll come back to the vaguely conspiratorial um theory that I think about a lot, which is if you are leading the military you have a lot more power and budget and relevance if we're at war than if we're not. And so mm-hmm. there's this incentive to keep us at war just so that you can, you know, so you have a lot more guys under your control and you're a lot more powerful. And, and by the way, all the contractors and, and suppliers, they're making a pretty penny off of it. And so they're incentivized to see us stay at war as well. Is oh, there, no, I mean, there's no credible? doubt. It's
1: a, it's no doubt it's a money machine. I mean, war, war makes people rich. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not saying that I agree or disagree with the Afghan war. I mean, right. But I mean, there's definitely incentive to stay in in war. No doubt about that.
0: There's this this thing I've read about, which is that the Afghan um, police chiefs, that the warlords that they all have these young boys as like their sex slaves basically and yep. that they like kidnap boys is that a real thing is that something you ever encountered is it is this one of those things that's like getting blown up or is this like a real thing and there's like uh, young young boys and pedophilia everywhere
1: uh, no it's a real thing um they call chai boys pretty much the the most feminine uh male in the family or Say, I mean, the, the Afghan police had them too. In the group, uh, they are pretty much cooking, cleaning, and I mean, I don't know how to put it. but get, getting, getting turned by out, dudes. Yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, no, it's, they're definitely seeing seeing my fair share of those guys. And
0: did it ever happen on a U.S. military base? Is that a
1: possibility? I mean, I'm sure that... it has. Uh, right. I mean, I have never witnessed uh Afghan army or police officers you know raping kids or anything like that right. but i'm i'm 100% sure it happens all the right. time I,
0: mean... <laughs> I read i read an article about um a special forces commander who spoke up about it cuz he was so yeah. horrified and I, lost I, yeah, his job. yeah i know job. which one
1: yeah um, i know which one you're talking uh, just,
0: about just terrible uh yeah. I, it's wild to me you know, you know the funny thing is apparently this is like a well-known Thing about Afghanistan and um, and they there's a joke there's an old joke that is um, why do birds fly in circles over Kandahar, and the answer is because they're always covering their ass with one wing. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I mean, uh, one, apparently, sorry. yeah. Apparently, that's <laughs> apparently that's like a known, unknown thing, and it's you know. I had no idea, but apparently it's a, it's a known thing. Um, yeah. so, all right, last, last question for you. What, what's your rank? Um, like when, so if I, if I say I had an interview with Jordan, like, who, how am I describing you?
1: I mean, I, I guess you just specialist
0: specialist. Okay. Um, that works. And, uh, what are you doing now? And did your experience in the army influence it in any way
1: uh no not at all I'm a uh, city arborist in Oregon Uh, (laughs) completely different job
0: city arborist Um, that's so you're like managing trees
1: uh yeah we do city work uh city tree work and stuff like that
0: so that's Um, like cutting down sick trees is that the
1: uh yeah tree removals tree pruning
0: got it Yep. So not 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 at all related to Army.
1: Uh for now. I got right. some I got some contracting jobs in my note that I might take.
0: <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Contracting for like the contractors that the Department of Defense hires. Is that the idea?
1: Yeah. Actually I got an offer the other day to do um um security on cargo ships for out uh, on this uh right off the uh Horn of Africa for, Oh you know, cool. Gotta keep the pirates, pirates
0: away, huh? Oh, yeah. Just watch just Captain Phillips a couple times <laughs> before you go. So, actually, let me ask you a question: Was that like a a a thing when you were in the army? Was there an exit strategy that guys had? Like, I just got to do my my two tours, and then I know I can get a job with some contracting firm, and I can either come back to Afghanistan but make more money, or like it was was that like I mean, a yeah, I mean,
1: thing? I, yeah I mean all the time I mean I'd probably say ten to twenty percent of all the dudes I served with are contracting right now making a shit ton of money
0: what what does that even what what is a shit ton of money in this context like what what does that compensation look like to go back to Afghanistan
1: but as a private contractor probably from six hundred to a thousand bucks a day and you do you're usually two or three months deployments and then two months off two months on two months off.
0: And where are those guys, like they're not staying on the same bases or are they staying on the same bases as? the the Uh, Yeah.
1: I mean, on my first deployment at my first outpost, we had a ex Navy SEAL contractor. He, he was, uh, setting up our, all of our security cameras. And they also had like these blimps, these little blimps that would go up on a rope with a, Really, uh, expensive camera up there, but he set up all that equipment for us and stuff like that.
0: And he would just stay with you at the outpost,
1: and yeah, he got in right. firefights with us and everything. <laughs> wow!
0: Now yeah. he's a Navy SEAL, like you you hear a lot about the Navy SEALs, right? Was he like particularly mm-hmm. more badass than anyone else that you came across?
1: I mean, he was a cool dude, really smart. He was in, uh, I don't know exactly what they're called in the Navy SEALs, but pretty much communications, uh, intel, stuff like that. Um, I mean, he, 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 he never went out on patrols with us or anything like that. But I mean, when we were, we were getting shot at, at our bases, he would, he would he'd come out, he'd come out and help us. He loved and him.
0: the, the <laughs> contracting jobs, is there like an, a pipeline? Like, how do you know who to call, how to get those jobs? Like, what is it? Just somebody puts you in touch with somebody else. Like what's the, that, that pipeline look like,
1: um, I mean, you can start your own company, uh, which a lot of my, my guys I served with did. Wow. Um, okay. it's also who, you know, I know a guy I served with his dad was ex green beret and he has a multi-million-dollar contracting company does work all, all around the globe. Hmm. But I mean, it's, it's a big business.
0: Yeah, it certainly is. And certainly those guys didn't want the war to end because then the paychecks
1: dry up, right? Yeah. Uh, But, I mean, there's work all over the world, not just Afghanistan. You got Africa. Africa is probably the number one where a lot of contractors are going right now. Uh, Mm -hmm. um, South America, stuff like that.
0: Is there still a lot of piracy off the horn of Africa? Like, you don't read about that anymore.
1: Um, I would say not as much since they started throwing in guys for, uh, you know, ex-military guys on the cargo ships, but still happens. I
0: mean, if you're standing there with your uh with your M two four nine and you're you're on the deck of a ship, like I, I don't know, <laughs> pirates yeah, I mean, not gonna I, make their way up, right?
1: I would hope not.
0: Yep, <laughs> that's It'd the idea. Pretty, I guess uh, huh?
1: pretty hard to do.
0: And then after I published it, I, I was sort of like the the premise of the podcast was it was time to get out. It was time to get out a really long time ago, and the only reason that we were there was you know, for all this time was because there were guys who were incentivized and making money off of it, whether it's, you know, the the guys making the vehicles, the guys, um, there's a lot of people who are making money off of it, and they sort of kept us there longer than we should have. And then the other premise was, we kind of screwed up the exit, like, it's good that no Americans died, but we really fucked over the Afghanis, the ones that were our our allies and contractors and and interpreters and stuff, and, um, and we should have done a better job by them um so that was the premise of it mm-hmm. and uh you know I, I after i recorded it i then was thinking to myself you know it's sort of weird how the media is often very very pro president biden and mm-hmm. they seem to have like totally turned on him
1: in this uh, instance. yeah I've, I've, no- I've noticed that yeah
0: well it makes me then wonder why did they turn on him and my thinking is that they turned on him because the the guys who are at the top of the military, who are incentivized to have us at war forever, because it, you know gives them a lot more power and influence and, and relevance, they're the same guys that are going they're, they're sort of it seems to me like they're trying to undermine the withdrawal even as recently as like this week they're trying to undermine it so that biden would change his mind and then they try to undermine it by going to the press and saying yeah you know biden's an asshole he screwed this whole thing up and and he really botched this and and then the press which you know for the last 20 years reported about how important it was that we stayed in afghanistan of course they're saying we should stay in afghanistan they're sort of covering their own asses and Mm -hmm. but it's fascinating to me that like when a group that's normally very pro one person is doing the opposite you got to wonder like why and and what's up there
1: yeah i mean there could be multiple different reasons but yeah i mean i just noticed that the other day but yeah it's pretty wild (laughs) um i guess we'll find out soon enough
0: this is incredible thank you um thank you again for your service and um and thanks for talking to me about this This yeah uh, this is great